everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. Harvey Ovshinsky is a veteran educator and a multimedia journalist whose lifelong passion for telling Detroit stories was once described by the Detroit Metro Times as being, quote, a colorful and fantastic voyage, at times brave and visionary. Harvey's new memoir, Scratching the First Surface, Adventures in Storytelling, has just been published by Wayne State University Press. And Harvey Ovshinsky joins me now to talk about it and his long journey as a storyteller in our city. Harvey, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, Stephen, this is such a pleasure. Oh, and happy anniversary. I understand this is your going on your sixth year? That is that is the truth. Telling stories <laughs> on public radio? Yes, yes. Uh, I have. Uh, it was March of uh, 2015 when we started this grand experiment, and uh, today it is my favorite hour of the day, every well, day. happy birthday. Sit here. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and congratulations to you on this, this memoir, which is a really wonderful look back at a career that, again, is, is defined by the importance and the impact of storytelling and storytelling in our city, um, yeah. you, you, you do a lot of sort of explication of uh, about the time in which you're telling stories in Detroit. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so powerful. But you begin the book before that. You begin yeah. the book with uh, a story about who you are and, and where you're from. Well, the first half of the book is called My First Childhood. And mm-hmm. usually I skip through. The childhood parts, of, I love biographies and I love autobiographies. I usually skip by them. Um, but in this case, especially, I thought it was important I set the table. I spent my entire career, careers, multiple ones, um, of avoiding telling my own story, expressing my own voice, mm-hmm. um, spilling my own beans, as I like to say, <laughs> um, as a print journalist with the Fifth Estate and later with ABX and later on the documentaries on the local stations um, and in the classroom. Um, I, I, I enjoyed enormous pleasure uh, spinning my yarns with other people's threads, asking my questions, telling my stories with their answers. And I wanted to find out wh- what's that about? Where does that come from? I mean, when, when, where, when did I lose my voice? Right, right. Where did it go? Um, did I give it away? Did I bury it? Was, was I kept my good stuff hidden? And I, I wanted to find out. So I wrote the book, as I always do, whenever I'm curious about something, whenever I have a question about something, um, when I want to tackle a problem, um, I write about it. Hmm. And that's the, the, I set the table with the first part of the book, and then we're off and running with the Fifth Estate and ABX and the documentaries and the screenplays and the teaching. Oh, sure. even the teaching. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about where you think all of this comes from. What is it about your early life that made you want to tell stories and want to tell stories about the city of Detroit? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it comes from the title of the book. And by the way, I had hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Inside Poop. For the longest story, my favorite title for this memoir was Detroit and the Art of the Impossible. I like Detroit that. And the, oh, I love it. And I'll have to use it in my next book. <laughs> right. But friends and uh, colleagues who I respected saying, you've got to stop hiding behind Detroit. This book that you ended up writing is not only about Detroit, that's certainly a thread, 
it's part of the framework. It's part of the, you know, your your own story. And stop hiding behind your father, you know, mm. who has his own story and his own adventures to tell. I had to find a way to um, scratch the surface and. And it took me back to an exercise I had when I taught fourth and fifth graders at the Gross Point Academy. <laughs> um, and I used to draw a line on a blackboard back in the day when there were blackboards instead of whiteboards. And I asked my class, well, what are the, what is this? And they were pretty smart. They said, well, it's a line, Mr. O. It's a line, a straight line, because I encouraged them to be specific. I said, yes, literally it is a line, but metaphorically. When I taught creative writing, uh, this is a symbol. It's a representation of the surface. Mm. And I pointed it. I hit the surface. And I, I, I drew arrows above the surface. This is your enemy. If you're a creator, an artist, a writer, the surface is your enemy. It's your nemesis. There's nothing new up here. It's all been said. It's all been done. There are no bombshells. What you want to do is go below the surface. Wow. which is where your good stuff, and I painted, a, uh, drew a circle with chalk, the good stuff is. And the good stuff is uh, who we are. It's our soft spot. It's our, the heart of our matter. It's what we value. It's, what we, it's what, um, what's important to us. And the question is, how do you get from up there, the, above the surface, down through the surface to our good stuff so we can get it off our chest yeah. and share our good stuff? Well, yeah. that is, how do you do that? They were stumped. They didn't know. So I took the blackboard and I took my fingers, nails, and I scratched the surface <laughs> as hard as I could. <laughs> Scared the bejeebies out of them and, and, and until we got to the good stuff. Wow. So I said, I didn't say anything. Act, as a writer, you know this. Actions speak louder than words. Show, do. don't tell. Yeah. I didn't tell them what to do, but they got the message. Uh, one <laughs> student recently wrote to me, she still dreams, has nightmares about that particular lesson. About scratching so the painful. nails. <laughs> and so essential. It, it, it stuck. Yeah. So to yeah. answer your question, um, I felt it was important to scratch my own surface and in my teaching to help others scratch theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, our listeners, uh, many of them will know what the Fifth Estate is, yes. but some of them will not. Sure. Uh, and it's one of the oldest underground newspapers in America. Uh, you're uh, one of the founders of, of the yes. Fifth Estate, of, of course. Uh, explain what you were trying to create with that publication, what you think its yeah. legacy is well, like Well, I've always been pretty consistent. We tried to scratch the surface. Um, <laughs> the straight press, no offense, Stephen, the corporate press, uh -huh. uh, the free press and the news, um, they acted as if the world was a, the press was a hand mirror that, that reflected back on them what, what they knew and what they understood and what they saw, what was in front of their face. Mm -hmm. The underground press was an alternative press started in the 60s that said, there's no, there's much more than this. Um, in, in the straight and, and generally in the uh, corporate press, young people were pretty much invisible unless they were uh, um, in trouble or uh, juvenile delinquents. Women were no one will believe this, we're generally quarantined to the society or home section mm -hmm. stories. They're not on the front page. And certainly black people, lordy, uh, unless they were in trouble or making trouble or causing trouble, uh, were rarely on the front page. They were invisible. So we said, no, we're not a hand mirror. The Fifth Estate and other underground papers, and there were hundreds and thousands of them in the 60s, said there's more to what's going on in society during the wild and uh, uh, uproarious 60s and later the 70s than you know about. And, and our paper tried to reflect that in politics, in terms of our anti-war coverage, in terms of our coverage of civil rights and civil justice um, demonstrations and women's issues and arts and culture. Uh, 
Uh, we just try to show the, the big picture, hmm. bigger than the news and free press ever dreamed about. Yeah. And, and I've always thought that the underground press or alternative press, whatever term you want to give it, especially in this city, had a real effect on mainstream or corporate it media. It, it, it changed the way. What made you think so? Uh, well, I mean, I think, uh, so I, I come into professional journalism in the city as a 20-year-old 20, 20 as an intern at the Free Press in 1990. Uh, and by that point, the, 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 the things that you're talking about are always on the lips of the editors yeah. at the newspaper. I mean, that was the way I was taught uh, that journalism mattered. Now, you still had this incredible corporate uh, influence, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a for-profit enterprise. There, there, there are interests that have to be served that come into conflict with the things that you're talking about uh, frequently. But, but if you look at media today in particular uh, and the growth of nonprofit media yeah. that we're seeing – all of that is framed around exactly the things uh, that you're talking about. And now you have corporate media or mainstream media running to catch up, yeah. running to try to keep pace with that. Excuse me. Well, there are several things I want to say about this. First of all, what gave me delight, and Tim Kiska told me about this um, when we did the uh, 50th anniversary of the Fifth Estate at the Detroit Historical Museum, Peter Werby, and Tim Kiske and I curated an exhibit. He said the editors assigned the Fifth Estate eventually, eventually when they got it, um, to uh, read the paper because it really was a revolution not only in content but in design mm -hmm. and, and in photography and in just execution of the news because we weren't just delivering... <laughs> um, how do I want to say this? We kind of were... Then what WDET and NPR is now. Mm -hmm. We just weren't reporters. We were storytellers. Yes. We provided context. We provided perspective. We, we provided backstory. None of this above-the-surface stuff. That's for the free press and news. And I'm being hard and general and broad-stroked about this because they did some very fine reporting in those days. Just not about what mattered to young people and black people and women mm -hmm. and others. So... Um, that's that's what we were about and what we tried to do and what what WDET is and I'm not selling anything. Um, uh, when I was on the radio, when I when I was on DET on Harvey O on the Metro in the mm -hmm. early nineties, <laughs> did a talk show on a Friday. Um, whether it was on Spare Change on Riff or Night Call before Peter took over, or Up Against the Wall when I was at WABX, the progressive <laughs> rock station in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Uh, the point was always to scratch the surface, to get to the heart of the matter. I mean, I, I, I think that's the difference. You guys are reporters on NPR, but you're also storytellers. Those driveway moments, I guarantee you, when we have them, when we listen to the radio, especially NPR, uh, the reason we are kept in our cars against our will, glued to our feet, <laughs> was that the news, the information, the uh, ideas were framed, explained, Shared in the context of a story. Sure. Yeah. Nailed it. Works every time. Yeah. And you guys are still doing it. I'm telling you, between, between um, all the programs that you have, the news programs, the music programs, the conversation programs, it's all about storytelling. Yes. The ideas, yes, facts. I'm not demeaning the idea of uh, data or information or ideas. 
But wake me when the data is over. Yeah, it's I want powered. to be glued. I want to be glued to that seat. It's all powered by narrative. Yeah, that's, uh, and that, that, that's sort of what makes it distinct from uh, from other media. So, so tell and me then, by the way, and essential. I don't have to tell your listeners. I feel like I'm talking to the choir again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, essential. This this kind of um, programming on DET and what we try to do with the underground press on the radio and in print was so nourishing. It provided a sense of not just ideas and information, and a, but, but community. Yes. Uh, when I listen to DET, I feel like I'm in a bookstore. That's <laughs> the same feeling. I feel like I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, wow, there's, it's not just me. There's a sense of community, of belonging. And that's what storytelling does. It's a, a shared experience. And I, I don't care whether you're um, whether you're sitting around a campfire or I'm talking my grandson in, Toby, or, uh, or, or any way or how you can tell your story. The format, I've never been a snob when it comes to platform or media or format. It doesn't make it. The point is to, to tell a story in the context of characters we can identify and care about and therefore relate to. When your good stuff as a storyteller relates to my good stuff as a, a reader or a listener, Voila. Yeah, yeah. Perfection. So, so tell, like. me, tell me what takes you from that space to the space of, of documentary filmmaking. I mean, that, that's a huge yeah. part of, of your well, career. What made you make yeah. the switch? Well, the, 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 the good news is I became good at it. The bad news is, for better or worse, I've always been very restless. I never stay with one project more than my, my grandmother, my Jewish grandmother, said, Harvey, you have such spilkas. <laughs> I, I didn't know if that was a compliment. I don't think it was. But um, I was good with the Fifth Estate for three years. And then I went on to ABX and mm-hmm. delivered the news. And then I went on to television um, and documentaries at Channel 4 and Channel 7. I just cannot stop. I can't control myself. I have so much to say. And there aren't enough platforms and media and opportunities for me to say it. Mm. And I'm just, uh, I don't know what I'm doing next. I'm having never, my best friend, Michael Kerman, from the fifth day said, the fifth, fifth estate days, said, Harvey, you never do anything twice. Don't beat yourself up about this. Um, okay, so now I'm an author. I've done everything else. Now I'm an author. <laughs> now I've written a book. And I, I've been asked, like, well, what are you going to do next? And once I recover from writing Scratching the Surface, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, you know, curiosity is what fuels the creative process, yes. right? I mean, people who don't suffer from that kind of uh, incurable curiosity, I think, tend to tend to not create as as much. Uh, and they're they're you know, for you in particular. Uh, I, I have always gotten the sense that, that that's just a, an indomitable part of who you are, right? Yes, um, and, and the fact that these stories had to be originated from, inspired by my muse, my muse, the city of Detroit, the mother planet, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, my stories have nothing, well, the more specific, how do I want to say this? The more specific story is, the, the irony, the contradiction is the more universal it is. So I've always felt I didn't have to live in L.A. I didn't have to live in New York or Chicago or Seattle or Toronto. I could tell my Detroit stories and have them resonate. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, with people uh, who don't necessarily live in Detroit. So um, Isaac Bishevis Singer was a Yiddish um, uh, author, Pulitzer Prize, Nobel Prize winner. He said every author should have an address. Every author should have an every artist should have an address, and uh, Detroit has always been mine. Uh, it hasn't always been easy, 
not like a kid in a candy store. Sometimes it feels like a kid in a munitions <laughs> factory. <laughs> it, it, Detroit's tough. Yeah, but it, it gets you ready for, for the drama, for the tension, for the struggle, for the overcoming of um, for facing the challenges of being alive and being creative and, and earning a living. A lot of the book is about not just getting it off your chest, but about how to earn a living doing it. Right. Right. How to express yourself and get paid for it. The book is kind of like a combination memoir textbook, if you'll forgive me. <laughs> right. Always the teacher, right? Yeah, I can't stop. <laughs> um, I wonder what you make of the importance of storytelling right now. Wow. 2021, after 2020, uh, after all of the things that we experienced in the last year, and all of the things that we survived in the last year, especially here in the city that you like to tell stories about. Yeah. Well, there was so much suffering and so much pain and so much, so many challenges in the face of the pandemic and, and honestly in, in the face of Trump um, that we had to put it someplace. And one of the things I've really liked about the corporate and straight cable news media is they stop and they pause. They don't just tell us how many 500 of the 500,000 people who died, but they name names, they mm-hmm. give stories, they give profiles. You know, whoever thought of personalizing with storytelling, the, uh, the, the deaths of all these people really, um, they came from Don Hewitt's um, school yeah. of uh, storytelling. He was the, as you know, the creator exactly. of 60 Minutes. 60 minutes yeah. And he said, inform the viewers of the facts, you know, but not at the expense of your characters. Give them the, the information. But Noah, he said to Mike Wallace, will always be a, a more interesting subject than the flood. Right. Noah, I don't remember the flood, but I do remember Noah. I, me- I don't remember, you know, the Philistines, but I do remember Samson. I remember Delilah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always about the story. That's how we remember. That's how we retain information and learn from history, because we tell it over and over again, not with facts and information and data, but with storytelling. So, Harvey Ofshinsky, it is always great to talk with you. I'm really glad uh, you joined us today. And I want to remind listeners that you can receive a copy of Scratching the Surface Adventures in Storytelling as a thank you gift if you make a one-time contribution of $200 during WDET Spring Fundraiser oh, that's great. right that's now. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a it's the best gift we're giving. Yeah, uh, and not just because fundraiser. I'm in it, but Don Gagne. Yeah, Don Gagne is the forward he author, right? Forward. He framed <laughs> my picture. How lucky am I? Yeah, that's a, it's it's a WDET alumni book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Harvey, it's really great to Oh, Stephen, always a thanks, pleasure. Thanks for joining. Take care. Us. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to take a look at Detroit's outsized influence in popular music over a really long period of time. WDET's Chris Campbell is going to join the program. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.